you, gentlemen. Would you remain standing as we stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? We are continuing our study in Matthew chapter 6, working our way through Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And he begins here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Our Lord Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Father, you know what we need. You know we need to see with eyes that are opened by your Spirit who you are. And who we are in light of who you are. So give us spiritual wisdom this morning. Help us to understand Christ's words for us. Father, help me to to move out of the way and let your word just speak. And for any heart this morning that that is hardened by life or by pride or by despair, would you melt the heart? you break through and let your words speak comfort and grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has has been addressing for us what one of our biggest problems is. A problem that was obviously evident in the lives of the religious people, but one that we've been finding is also a problem that is a danger to us, to his, to his disciples. He's been talking about this problem of our hearts, hasn't he? That, that bit of who we are, deep down, that drives what we do. And so in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing our motivation, our heart attitude when it comes to practicing righteousness. For me, just kind of as an aside, I will say that that working through the Sermon on the Mount has been really, it's been hard. Um, I think I have historically in my own life approached this as as law. And I think we are all tempted to do that. We we, we can approach the Sermon on the Mount as, as law given to us. Like Jesus is laying out for us a set of rules to follow in order to be a good person, or, or in order to be the, the right kind of Christian. That's our law thinking, legal thinking, is our go-to way of thinking. It's totally natural. It's so ingrained in us because of our sin nature, that it, it's impossible for us, and I mean that, impossible for us, without the Holy Spirit, to hear from our Savior without thinking he's telling us how to live 
to be more acceptable to God. That's kind of what we want to hear. How can I live to be more acceptable to God? That's sin in us. That's what we call pride. To to think that there is actually something we can do to make God accept us. Maybe we can say the right things or do the right things to earn his favor. That's that's pride. That's sin in us. And that's why our first instinct, when we look especially at instruction like what we have in the Sermon on the Mount, is to to look at it as, as law. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this, this, and this instead. And you're good to go. I want to be clear as we begin. This is not law. When Jesus taught us how his followers think about giving to the needy last week, or giving to the church, he wasn't giving us rules to follow. He was describing for us the heart attitude of the righteous. The righteous give generously, and they give to the glory of the Father. They don't do it to get the attention of others. They don't do it to think that they're better because they're giving or to think that they're good people. They don't even give so that others would think that they're good people. We give, as Jesus showed us, because we are the Father's children. We give because His Son, Jesus, is our delight and joy. And so, because of that, we are free to give. We give freely. Not to get something, but to release the things of earth to be used. To to be used to feed and clothe and nurture others. The things of earth grow, how does it go? The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His wonder and grace. So we're going to see the exact same thing this week and next week. We're going to talk about how prayer fits into the life of someone who is following Jesus. And what we're going to see is that this isn't rigid law. Where where we will only be heard by God if we go through the right rituals and routines and avoid these pitfalls and, and say just these right words. But what Jesus is giving us here with his teaching on prayer is this simple gospel reminder. And I want you to... Listen closely, because this is it. You are a child of the Father. You're a child of the Father. That's his main point. That's how we are to understand prayer. If you want to write it down, you don't have a lot of notes there. You can write down, I can talk to the Father because I'm his child. I can talk to the Father because I'm his child. And then there are two things Jesus is going to show us underneath that truth. The first is that because you are his child, your conversations with the Father are not meant to impress others. And the second is that your conversations with your Father are not meant to impress him. There is nothing impressive about us at all. Nothing other than this. Despite our sin, we have been adopted by the Father through the work of His Son, Jesus. You you catching that? You've been adopted by the Father, by the King of the universe. 
That's where your value comes from. That's what makes anything you do impressive. This realization is step one in in understanding Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount. If you go back to right when he opened his mouth on that hill, it was the first thing that he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means we recognize our spiritual poverty, our neediness. The opposite of poor in spirit isn't rich in spirit. Christ makes us rich in spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit is spiritual haughtiness. It's a a belief, a misguided belief that you are rich in spirit on your own. We are all poor in spirit without Jesus. Some of us think we're rich, and the Bible calls that haughtiness. Most of the pitfalls of Christ's sermon on the mount come to the haughty. But understanding of who we are in Christ, and who our Heavenly Father is, that comes from being spiritually needy. We're children of the Father. Children are needy, they're dependent on their Father. We are children of the Father. And today we see that because we are His kids, we get to talk to Him. So Jesus' underlying argument here, if you feel like pushing back against what He's sharing with us, it's kind of like those bus driver rules. I don't know if, who rode the bus in elementary school. A handful of you. Um, my bus driver had this little poster at the front of the bus. I don't know if yours had this. Rule number one, the driver's always right. Rule number two, if the bus driver's ever wrong, refer to rule number one. It's, the, you have lots of variations on this. The teacher's always right. The judge is always right. Mom's always right. It's like a, one of those coffee mug things. It's what we call a logical truism, right? It's an argument that is set up in such a way that no matter how you look at it, it's going to be true if you follow the argument. So ours, what Jesus is sharing with with us, is a similar argument, but it's filled with a lot more grace than what my bus driver had. It goes like this. Number one, you are a child of the Father by grace. And that grace is that Christ died for your sins. Number two, there's nothing you can do that will make him love you more than he already does in Christ. Nothing. We read Ephesians 1 this morning. There's nothing you can add to all of that abundance. Number three, if you think that there is something you can do to win God's favor, go back to statement number one, right? Because you're wrong. Go back to statement number one. Over and over and over again, just go through that logical truism. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Now, as a result of this truth of being a child of the Father, we we get special privileges, don't we? Privileges that only children get from their father. Privileges like using what he gives to show love and mercy towards others. So he gives us abundantly and we give towards others. That's a privilege. And the second privilege is that we get to talk to him. Let me show you where we get this. Look at verse 5. And what you're going to see here is very similar to what Jesus showed us last week. And actually, it's almost word for word. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. This is just like last week, isn't it? 
Just sub out when you pray for when you give and you get the same statement. He even uses that word hypocrite again. Same thing he said last week. A lot of times we today, we use the word hypocrite to to describe someone who says one thing and does another. Right? So, So if I told my kids to do something and I did another in violation of what I just said, we would say, well, that's hypocritical. You can't do that. That's, that's, that's being a hypocrite. And if you'll remember last week, though that, that is a bad way to be a hypocrite, the way that Jesus uses the word hypocrite is a little bit different. So we've imported a lot of n- negative tones to that word. In Jesus' day, it was just a, a word that they used for actors. All right, so it's, it's, the Greek is hypocrite. So we've just taken that word hypocrite and we, we've imported new meaning into it, but then it just meant an actor, someone who, who wasn't truly who they were on stage. They were playing a part for others to see. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite or an actor when you pray. In other words, don't just pretend to play the part. Don't just pretend the, the way that those actors do in order for others to see them. They've received their reward. And people who pray like actors in, in, the, in the square, they've received their reward. People will see them and they'll think, wow, what a righteous person. Look at them praying. Listen to them praying. They must really know God. They must really be holy. They must be really be, be pious and godly. People see them as good, God-honoring people because that's what the hypocrite wants people to see. But what's Jesus looking for in us? He's looking for this this heart-deep righteousness. Not just an outer appearance of righteousness, but, but in all the way to the core, complete righteousness, what he calls perfect righteousness, all the way through. What we do must come out of who we are, not who we're pretending to be. Our prayers are to come out of who we are. Our worship is to come out of who we are. Our giving is to come out of who we are in Christ. The contrast to praying for show, or as a hypocrite or as an actor, is what we see in verse 6. Jesus says, not like that, like this. Look what he says. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What he's getting at here is that the motivation for our prayer life is not in being seen by others. It's not in being thought of as righteous. The motivation for our prayer life is simply to talk to our Father. Our motivation is not in being seen with our Father, but in genuinely seeking our Father. I'll give you an analogy. Think of the difference this way. All right, so if you're at a restaurant, you're downtown San Diego, you're at a nice restaurant, and you see someone famous sitting at another table, you can lean back and you can kind of take a, a selfie with them in the background. Right? You've seen this before. And you can post it on Instagram or Facebook. And what happens? You get your reward. You get your, your hearts or your likes. 
That's your reward for how well you knew that stranger in the restaurant. And then it's over. You got to use this celebrity, whoever it was, to feel better about yourself. You got that little high. But think about it this way. If this famous person is your father, you would not do that to them. You might say hello to them, but you wouldn't post a picture of yourself with him in the background for the world to see. That's not how you relate to your father. You actually get to talk to him. He's your dad. So so what would you do? Probably... To be polite, you'd wait until after the restaurant encounter. He's with somebody. You're with somebody. You you let that take place. Then you'd go home and you call dad. Right? Because he's your dad. You, You have that privilege. You know his number. He's your dad. And being his child, no matter how famous he is, you have the privilege of calling to talk to him. Your motivation isn't in being seen with him by others but in being with him you see the principle behind this this is kind of a modern update to what Jesus was sharing with us our motivation is not in being seen as someone who pretends to be a friend of the father praying to him in such a way that people think that we're all pious and holy we get our likes and our thumbs up Our motivation is to be with Him. To spend time with Him in worship. To spend time talking to Him. That's our guiding principle. So then the question is, does that mean we can never pray in public? That would be a difficult one if it really did mean that. We we open up our time together as a church in public prayer. We're led in prayer by someone for an extended time during our time of worship. I pray before I preach. I pray when I finish preaching. We pray when we share in the Lord's Supper. We pray together on Wednesday nights extensively. All of these are prayers to God, our Father, in front of other people. So are we disobeying Christ then? It's possible some of us might be. But think, think again about that analogy, about seeing your father in a public place. Do you, as the, the child of the father, do you have the privilege to walk up to him and talk to him, even when he's at the table with someone else? Yes, you do. You can genuinely do that, and it's not weird, it's not wrong. He's your father. He's happy to hear from you. What's wrong is pretending to talk to him or talking to him for show taking a selfie with him in the background. That's wrong. It's not how you treat your father. And there's lots of places in Scripture where we see people talking to God in public. Public prayer is not forbidden in the New Testament. In fact, it's encouraged, which is why we do it. Jesus himself prayed in public for others to see. Sometimes he would even stop teaching and pray and then go back to teaching. In Matthew eleven twenty five, you don't have to turn there, but right after he, he publicly pronounces a warning against these, these two cities, Matthew records this. 
At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So that's verse 25. And then in verse 27, he teaches those around him what it was that he just prayed. It's a public prayer. Whenever you see Jesus, when you're reading through the Gospels and you see Jesus addressing the Father, he's praying. It's his privilege. He is the Son of the Father. And then we have more examples of this. If you, if you open up your Bible to John chapter 17, this is an, the entire chapter is a public prayer. Jesus is praying in front of his disciples. His disciples are with him. He's praying for them, interceding for them before the Father. Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane in the garden, not long before his crucifixion, it was loud enough for his disciples to hear. There are other times when Jesus went off to pray on his own, but his disciples knew what he was doing. It wasn't a secret. Oh, there goes Jesus. He's going to pray again. Was there any sense that Jesus was praying for show? No, he was praying because he was a son of the Father. And the church does this too. The church prays together. All together, out loud. In Acts chapter 12, after Peter was arrested. I don't know if you remember this story. Peter's arrested, he's in jail. The church, in response to this, they all gather in somebody's house to pray together, out loud. Not as individuals on their own in their prayer closets. And and while they're praying together... Peter is miraculously released from prison. Remember that story? And he shows up and they think he's a ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is giving the church instructions on their worship service, what we're doing right now. And Paul's teaching this church. And he says, when the men pray in the church, they're to have their heads uncovered. And when the women pray, they're to have covers on their heads. That's another discussion for another day. But the point is this. The church was expected to be praying together when they were gathered together and their prayers in the worship service were audible so that others could hear them we pray because we're children of the father it's our privilege to pray so so we can't read jesus's instruction here as law as as a command we have to read it as a heart check for us this is a correction Jesus isn't giving us law. He's using a metaphor to describe the right heart motivation when we pray. He's teaching us to check our hearts before we do anything religious at all. So we should ask ourselves these questions. Whenever whenever you're asked to pray, whenever you're asked to sing or play an instrument, whenever you're asked to do anything having to do with worship, Ask yourself these questions. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? What's my motivation? Am I doing this to be seen by others? Or am I doing it out of a sincere response to Christ's work for me? We can take Jesus' instruction really woodenly. We can take it as law. And completely miss what he's getting at here. 
Think about it. If you were to take this as law, you, you, would, you would build a, a closet in your home, and you could pray in the darkness of that closet with nobody watching, and nobody would know but you that you were there. But you can do that in such a way that you are watching yourself. You see or you hear yourself praying and you can think that you are more righteous because you did it. You can set the alarm for 4 a.m. and get up and mosey over to your closet and close the door behind you and you can pray for three hours straight and walk out feeling really good about yourself, can't you? All because of your personal sense of righteousness. I would totally miss the point. It would totally miss the point of what Jesus is getting at. This isn't a command. It's not law. It's a heart check. He's not trying to get us to set apart a prayer time or build a prayer closet. He's encouraging us to go into prayer like we actually want to talk to the Father. Like He's actually our Father. We don't do it to be seen by others. We don't do it to be seen by ourselves. But we do it to be with Him. Talking to Him. It's not something we do because we want to be righteous. It's something we get to do because we've been made righteous by Christ. So that's the first illustration, the first point that that Jesus wants us to see. Because you are his child, your conversations with the Father are not meant to impress others or yourself. Second point is that your conversations with your Father are not meant to impress him. This begins in verse 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Again, key word, Father. Father. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He's your Father. You get to talk to Him. So talk to him. And the contrast here, this time, it's not the hypocrites. It's not the actors pretending to be friends of the Father. This time it's the Gentiles. Some of your translations may say the pagans. It's religious people. They pray. But when they pray, they pray as almost mystically. They heap up empty phrases, Jesus says. Some of your translations say they babble. He's talking about these, these chants or sounds or, or memorized prayers that we just say repeatedly over and over and over and over again. The, the motivation behind praying like this isn't to be seen by others. It's a different motivation. It's the thought. Listen, it's the thought that, that we could pray for extended periods of time or use just the right words. And if we do that, then God will eventually take notice of our impressive piety and he'll listen to us. This is like going to God with a business transaction. I repeat this phrase, whatever it is, 300 times. And my hope is that it would impress God enough that he'll give me what I want. It's a business transaction. A rough parallel for our day would be like Catholics who would ironically repeat the Our Father prayer over and over again, or Hail Marys, or use certain signals 
or go through just the right motions so that they could be heard by God. It's just like Buddhists also who, who would use the, the om, thinking that if they use that tone, they could get into this state of emptiness or ecstasy so that they could connect with the universe. Or it's, or it's Jews. Have you ever been to the Wailing Wall? It's sad. They memorize and repeat a prayer over and over and over and over again. Muslims do this five times a day. Pray in a language they don't even understand. All of those ways are, are ways that people today heap up empty phrases thinking that they could earn God's favor through their prayer work. And, and I want to be careful here though because Jesus isn't talking to Jews and Buddhists and Muslims, is he? He's not talking to non-believing Catholics. He's talking to his disciples, you and me. So he's warning us. That means you and me need to be on the lookout for our ways of heaping up empty phrases. Phrases that we would use over and over and over again. Sometimes we, we do it because we don't want there to be any dead space in our prayer. Right? This hits close to home, doesn't it? Like if we stop for too long thinking about what we should say next, that God will just hang up the line, like you think that the line went dead. So we, we just fill the dead space with, with empty phrases, ums. We might just say God's name over and over and over again. We might repeat Jesus over and over and over again. We might say, just, right? Well, we just, God, I just. You done that? I've done that. Okay. Maybe, maybe we have a blessing that we repeat. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for his food. Am I the only one that's used that before? Okay. <laughs> or maybe it's a bedtime prayer. And I like this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I don't know. I, I, I tried to look up where that came from. It's a dark prayer, if you think about it. Anybody, think of a six-year-old praying, if I die before I wake. <laughs> the, the fear, I think they've changed it in modern nursery books, but um, I appreciate what that prayer teaches. It actually comes from a, a book in 1737. I had to look it up this morning. Um, and it, it taught two things, I think, that are important. One, our life is in God's hands. And two, life is fragile. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's actually a really reverent, God-honoring prayer. The original version even asked God to wake us up when the sun rises. It shows total dependence on him. It's a good prayer, but... If we use it as a show, as kids, if we use it as a show for, for mom and dad, or a show for God, or, or some sort of ritual that we go through, it, it loses its, it's not a prayer anymore. It's not talking to the Father anymore. It's what Jesus is actually warning us against. He's teaching us that prayer is a matter of how we approach God. If we're approaching God as our Father, we can use repetition. It's okay. 
Not empty, purposeless, attention-getting repetition, but but there's a way to be sincere even in repeating the same requests to the Father. How many times when Jesus was in that garden did he ask the Father, Father, take this cup from me? Three times. He repeated, but those weren't empty phrases. Those were sincere prayers to the Father. How many times did the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 go to the judge to get justice? Over and over and over again. Until he grew weary listening to her. And Jesus tells us, be like that widow. Be like her. Pray and do not lose heart. Be persistent in our prayers. How many times are we allowed to ask God, our Father, to save our child who has rejected him? How many times are we allowed to to ask God to save our spouse who doesn't know him? Pray that prayer over and over and over again until we breathe our last breath or we finally see them repent and believe. Never stop praying that prayer. Jesus is not saying don't ever repeat a prayer. How many times should we ask God to keep us from temptation and to grow us in Christ's likeness over and over and over again every day? Don't stop praying that prayer. The issue here is not mere repetition. The issue is the reason for our repetition. Are we repeating a phrase as a way of convincing God of our righteousness, of our piety? Or are we trying to impress Him? Or are we going to God again and again in prayer because He's our Father and we trust His providential hand in our life? Which is it? Do we think that spending more time with God in prayer gets us more points with Him? So that there's a greater likelihood of Him answering our prayer? Or are we spending time with God because He's our Father? Are we like Gentiles or or the pagans? Are, Are we going through a religious ritual? Or are we like children going to our Father because we need Him? We're dependent on Him. A pagan or a Gentile would, would engage God like you might engage the counterperson at a fast food restaurant. I'm hungry, so it's all restaurants today. Okay? So, so you wait in line at the restaurant, you place your order, you pay, you get your food, right? An exchange has taken place. You did what you were supposed to do. You performed your part, and the cashier did what they were supposed to do. They produced what you paid for. But a child engages his father completely differently. A child simply says, Daddy, I'm hungry. And what does the father do? He feeds her. Did the child have to tell the father that she was hungry? Probably not. He he knows it's morning, that she hasn't eaten since the night before, and she's probably hungry. In fact, he's probably already preparing a meal for her. So when she says, Daddy, I'm hungry, he says, I know you are, honey. I've got breakfast on the table. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 8? Look at Matthew 6, 8. Do not be like them, like the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Why? Because He's your Father. There's a difference in those transactions, aren't there, in the fast food restaurant, in the, in the child, in her daddy's kitchen? I 
Like a number four with cheese, hold the onions. Here's $6. That's completely different than, Daddy, I'm hungry. And you can't swap the two, can you? The little kid who doesn't know the cashier can't say, Daddy, I'm hungry. The random guy who ordered a burger at the fast food joint can't come into my kitchen and place an order. Those things are not interchangeable. What's essential? What is necessary in order to talk to the father the way that this child does? She's got to be his child. And if she's his child, it doesn't matter what she says. She can come downstairs in tears. Have your children done that? They're just, they wake up and they're just crying. And they can come downstairs in tears and the father knows what she needs. She's hungry. She can fall apart on the floor and pitch a fit and the father knows what she needs. She can come to the father and reach up her arms just to be held and the father knows what she needs. She can say, Daddy, can I have a cookie? And the father knows what she really needs is a good meal. That's how we're to approach our father. Like his children. We're not to enter into the presence of God thinking that we can make an exchange with him and then get what we want. That's not how this relationship works. We go into his presence by way of his mercy and his grace in adopting us as his children and we do it confidently because we're his children. Some of you are here and you're just thinking, realizing your approach to God has been totally different than what Jesus is describing here. You struggle to think of God like this, like, you're, like he's your father. All your life, it's been a matter of showing other people that you are doing the Christian thing. You're praying because Christians are supposed to pray. You're going to church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. You're giving even. You're doing things so that people will believe that you are good, you're righteous, you're a friend of God. When really your walk in Christ has been a lot more like taking a selfie with him in the background. Maybe you're realizing even when you actually bother to pray, you just go through the motions. It's it's kind of rote to you. You think of prayer as something you're supposed to do and so you do it. It's certainly, whatever you do, it's certainly not the way that you would approach God if you were truly his child. And you realize that this morning. Maybe that just comes from a misunderstanding. After all, who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to his followers, his disciples, Christians. Christians can have a misunderstanding about how we're to approach God in prayer. And these disciples that we see in Matthew, they're learning about prayer for the very first time. So it could be just a misunderstanding for you. But it could be that if you feel distant from God, if you're not aware of his fatherhood toward you, there could be a more serious, 
spiritual problem that, that we need to address. The Bible isn't quiet about this. The Bible tells us that it is the Spirit in us who reminds us that we are children of the Father. The Spirit tells us that. We don't, we don't have this confidence on our own. We don't have this just from, from book learning. The Spirit tells us this. Those who belong to the Father are told they belong to the Father by the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now who is that referring to? The spirit of adoption. It is by the power of the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians says the same thing. In Galatians 4, 6, we find that Christ has redeemed us so that may we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God sends us His Spirit who calls out through us, Abba, Father. That's how this works. It's the Spirit and the heart of a Christian who tells us we are children of the Father. It's the Spirit who enables us to pray to the Father as His children. So if this is troubling to you, if this seems foreign to you this morning, this doesn't describe your relationship with the Father, I want you to read Romans chapter 8 this week, today even. Read Galatians 4 and 5. It's three chapters, it'll take you 20 minutes. Romans 8, Galatians 4 and 5. And let God speak to you through His Word. Be reminded again that Christ's work on the cross has redeemed you from yourself, from your sin, and He, Jesus Christ, has brought you near the Father. It's through Him that you've been adopted to the Father. And the Father is your Father if Christ has done this work for you. And He has. So read those chapters. Read Romans 8 and Galatians 4 and 5. And then ask God, no matter how close you feel to Him, ask Him to give you understanding as you read. And then don't just be settled with that. Don't go through this alone. Come talk to me. If you you don't want to read those passages alone, come to me and I'll read it with you. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew. Take it home, it's yours. This isn't isn't something to shrug off. Eternity is at stake. Do you know that? If you don't know God as Father, you don't know Him at all. So I want to walk with you through this. If not me, let it be your Sunday school leader or some other Christian whose walk in Christ is evident. Someone you know knows God as their father. Would you do that, whoever you are? Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to you as your children this morning, together. 
because of what our big brother Jesus Christ has done for us. And we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity just to talk to you. Would you just weigh us down with that opportunity this week, God? Would you remind us that you're here, that we are dependent on you, and that we are weak, and that we are needy, and that we can come to you? And as we do, Father, hear our prayers. In Christ's name, amen.